I apologize for singing the wrong verse. I might have messed y'all up. I wasn't paying good enough attention, and I, I started singing the wrong verse, I think. But that's not the first time that not paying attention got me in trouble. I remember once when I was in California at seminary, I went to church one Sunday, and the preacher was preaching, and, and I was daydreaming. I know y'all have never done that, but, but I did. And it, he'd been preaching for a long time, and I, I thought that, that he said, let us stand. And I stood up, and I really quickly found out that he didn't say let us stand. And I was sitting there in the middle of the sermon standing up. Man, it didn't take me but just a second to sit down, but that felt like about an hour I was standing up there. I don't know what people thought. They might have thought I got the Holy Ghost or something. I'm not sure. But, but, but that was pretty embarrassing. So moral of the story is try to pay attention so you don't, so you don't do something foolish. All right, Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12, we're just continuing right along where we left off. We'll be in Mark chapter 12, we'll start in verse 18. This is the same passage we read just before Mother's Day, uh, but we only took a small portion of it and, and talked about that. But today we're going to talk more, a little more about the context of what was being discussed in this passage. Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12. We'll read verses 18 through 27. Small little passage. Most of these passages here in Mark chapter 12 are fairly small. They're not, not terribly long. <clears throat> Let's pray, and then we'll jump in. Father God, we come to you this morning, and we thank you that we can study your word. And I pray that you would help us to focus on it, dear Lord. Help our minds not to wander. It's easy for us to do that, God. We get to thinking about stuff and... But I pray in these few minutes we'd give you our mind, and I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak through me, that I would open my, my mouth and not ramble about, but to open it and to make sense and to say things that you want me to say for your people to hear. So God, let us hear your word today, and let your Holy Spirit work in our heart, and let us hear the things we need to hear, God. You know what's going on in our life, and you know what we need to hear, and God, you can use your word and apply it to us. So just help us to listen to it, and when we hear it, help us to live by it. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, for the last several weeks, we have been discussing passages where people were coming against Jesus with their best attacks, trying to trip Jesus up. We have seen the chief priests and the scribes and the elders, those religious leaders in the church. We have seen uh, the, the more political group and the Herodians. We have seen one of the religious groups and the Pharisees all of which have come against Jesus to attack Jesus and try to trip Jesus up. And even though these groups did not like one another, they all disliked Jesus. And so that was their common ground. They were willing to work with one another in an attempt to get Jesus out of the picture. Jesus was messing things up. He was, he was messing with their traditions. People were leaving them and beginning to follow Jesus. And so here as we read in this passage today and in the passages we've discussed in the last few weeks and in the next few weeks, all of this stuff at the last uh, quarter, a third of the book of Mark all takes place in the last week of Jesus' life. And so we are near the end of Jesus' life here when he will be crucified on the cross. And so everybody is giving Jesus their best shot. And today 
It is the Sadducees that are giving Jesus their best shot. Another religious group similar to the Pharisees in that they were a religious group, but different, different beliefs. They, uh, they, they both believe different things, and we'll talk about that some as we go along. But let's read the text. Mark chapter 12, verse 18. Some Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to him and questioned him. Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies, leaves his wife behind, and leaves no child, his brother should take the wife and produce offspring for his brother. There were seven brothers. The first took a wife, and dying, left no offspring. The second also took her, and he died, leaving no offspring. And the third likewise. So the seven left no offspring. Last of all, the woman died too. In the resurrection, when they rise... Whose wife will she be since the seven had married her? Jesus told them, Are you not deceived because you don't know the scriptures or the power of God? For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. Now concerning the dead being raised, haven't you read in the book of Moses, in the passage about the burning bush, how God spoke to him? I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are badly deceived. Now, when we looked at this passage last time, we, we plucked out verse 25 where Jesus talks about our marital relationships in heaven. And we, <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> and we talked about that in great detail. We won't talk about that very much today. If you weren't here for that, you can find that online and listen to that, but, but we talked about that portion of this text, but that's not really what Jesus is focusing on here. That's not the context of this passage. The real thing that we are looking at in this passage is this idea of the resurrection of the dead. Now, we see a key clue here about the Sadducees at the beginning. Some Sadducees came to him. Well, what, what is unique about the Sadducees? They say that there is no resurrection. Now, I know I said this a couple of weeks ago, but I'll repeat it. Mark gives us a clue here as to what is taking place. He tells us from the get-go that the Sadducees do not believe that there is a resurrection of the dead. So by knowing this, we know that the question that they are asking Jesus, the scenario that they are presenting to Jesus, they don't care about this answer. They don't believe that there is a good answer for this because they do not believe that there is a resurrection. Now, they present this scenario where, where a man is married to a woman and has no children, and the man dies, and the man's brother marries the wife in hopes of bearing a child to carry on the original husband's family name, and that brother dies, and the next mother, brother marries her, and all of the man's brothers marry this woman, and no offspring is produced. Now, they're not just making this scenario up. This was part of God's law in the Old Testament. And I know we talked about that a couple weeks ago. And we've been talking about that in particular in our study of the book of Ruth over the last few weeks. Because uh, that, that, that very concept and idea from the law plays a part in that story as well. So coincidentally, these, these passages have, have uh, coincided with each other. Uh, well, perhaps not incidentally. Perhaps the Lord wants us to learn more about it. But... But here they present this situation that was what God's people were supposed to do in the Old Testament. If a man in the Old Testament died without a, a child, then his brother was to marry his wife to produce a child for him. 
So this is something that would have been part of the Israelite culture to keep a family name alive, to keep family land and family property in a family. That's why God had established that command for his people in the Old Testament. And so here they come up with a scenario that may have been a real situation that had occurred or one they simply made up in, in hopes to trip up Jesus or to trip up the Pharisees. Uh, if you read in Acts chapter 23, there's an incident where Paul is in trouble, where the people are coming against Paul for all that he is doing. And he realizes that in the crowd, it is both Pharisees and Sadducees who are coming against him. And in that passage, we are told two things about the Pharisees, or excuse me, about the Sadducees. One, the Sadducees do not believe in a resurrection. And two, the Sadducees do not believe in angels. Now, those are two key points that we see in Acts chapter 23. I believe that starts in verse 6 where you can see that. Uh, but that is, a, that is a good passage for us to consider this morning when we talk about this passage. It is clear that the Sadducees don't believe there's a resurrection. We see it in Acts 23. Mark tells us that here specifically. And so when they present this situation to Jesus, they say to Jesus, all right, when, when this woman and these men are raised in the resurrection, who's going to be the husband of this woman? Which, which one? Now, their assumption was probably that Jesus would say, would not have anything to say, that he would be stumped. Hmm, what am I going to say about the resurrection? But what he says to them is, look, you've, you've got it all wrong. He says to them in verse 24, Are you not deceived because you don't know the Scriptures or the power of God? What Jesus is telling them here is, you don't know the Scriptures or the power of God. Now, no doubt they knew the Scriptures. They had knowledge of the Scriptures, or they wouldn't have brought this scenario before Jesus. It's unlikely that you would have found a Sadducee or a Pharisee of the day that did not know the Scriptures. Now, when it talks about the Scriptures here, uh, it's speaking about the Old Testament. Because at the time all of this is taking place, there is no New Testament. It would not be written until many years later. And so, when we read in the New Testament of the Scriptures... The scriptures it is speaking of are the scriptures of the Old Testament. And so Jesus says, you don't know the scriptures or the power of God. That is, you don't, you don't really know the scriptures. They had knowledge of the scriptures. They probably could have recited a lot of scriptures for Jesus. But they did not understand the scriptures. They did not interpret the scriptures possibly. And obviously they didn't, they didn't think God was all powerful if they were denying the fact that God could raise someone from the dead. And so Jesus starts off right off the bat. He doesn't, he doesn't directly answer their question. He first tells them, you have misunderstood God's word and you are denying God the power that he holds. And then he goes on to say in verse 25 that, look, when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. Now, it's likely when he says they are like angels in heaven I don't believe that Jesus is saying that we will physically take the form of an angel or that we will sprout wings should angels have wings in that sense. I don't know exactly what an angel would look like. But whatever an angel would look like, I don't think that Jesus is saying here that when you get to heaven, you will be like angels and that you will look like angels. I think when he says you will be like angels, he's saying you will be like angels in the sense that 
you will not marry. Angels do not marry. Angels do not procreate. That's part of what God has created humanity for. Uh, God made humanity, and he said it's not good for man to be alone. And so that's why it's good for a man to leave his mother and father and to cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. How we hear that a lot at weddings, do we not? Now, when God created human beings, that relationship between a man and a woman was a good thing. It was a necessary thing. God told humanity to go and, and produce offspring and to fill the earth. Well, that's what we are still doing. We are still producing offspring. We're still entering into marriage vows, men and women. That's what God has commanded us to do. Uh, and so when he says that we will be like angels, I think Jesus is simply saying, you will not continue in the same way that you continued on earth. That is no longer necessary. Uh, that marriage relationship will look different, uh, and the marriage relationship in heaven will be between Jesus the groom and those who are his followers as the bride. And so he says there, you will be like angels. But I pointed out that passage in Acts chapter 23 because it clearly tells us in that passage that they do not believe in the resurrection, nor do they believe in angels. Now, they haven't asked Jesus anything about angels here, but I think Jesus was giving them a little nudge. Not only was he going to tell them that there was a resurrection that would occur, but he's also telling them, oh, also angels are real too. By, by throwing that little bit in there that you will be like angels, Jesus is, is, is knocking another one of their beliefs that there are no angels. Jesus is affirming in this passage that there is both resurrection and angels. And so he's going against the things that the, that the Sadducees would have believed, at least two of their main beliefs. Going on, he says in verse 26, Now, concerning the dead being raised, haven't you read in the book of Moses? Now, some of you may be saying, wait a minute, there is no book of Moses. I've read my Bible, and I've never once seen a book of Moses. What is Jesus talking about? Is he talking about a hidden book that we do not have access to? He is not speaking of a hidden book. He's speaking of the book of Exodus. It is, it is highly believed and likely that Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible and also wrote the book of Exodus. And so when we speak of the book of Moses or the writings of Moses, we are speaking of the first five books of the Bible, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Those are the books of Moses. And those books in Hebrew are referred to as the Torah. In Greek, they are referred to as the Pentateuch. So if you ever hear people discuss the Torah or the Pentateuch, they are referring to the first five books of the Bible, or in this case, the book of Moses. In particular here, the book of Exodus. We, we can be sure that Jesus is referring to the book of Exodus because that is the book that contains this story that Jesus references. Now, it's... it's, it's, it's I don't, it's not coincidental that Jesus references the book of Moses here. He, he, he references these books because these were the books that the Sadducees really studied first and foremost. Now, it's likely that they also studied some of the other prophetic books and things that came after, but they really focused on the Torah. That's what they believed God word, God's word was. It was those first five books, and that's what they focused on. And so it's not coincidental that Jesus would go back to a story here about Moses. He would go back to one of those books. He's trying to get something that they are familiar with. He wants to communicate with them and make a point and make a case for resurrection 
on something that they already believe and stand by. And what Jesus is doing, he says, okay, if they believe the Torah, I'm going to show that resurrection is, is, is referenced even in the story of Moses way back when. And he goes on to say, haven't you read in the book of Moses in the passage about the burning bush, how God spoke to him? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now, if I were to tell you guys to find me a passage in the Old Testament that spoke of the resurrection, I would venture to say that none of you would pick that passage. That would not be the first passage that would come to your mind. And while the Old Testament doesn't speak of the resurrection maybe as often and as clearly as the New Testament, there are certainly passages in the Old Testament that, that, that lead us to believe and know that there indeed is a resurrection that will come. Uh, one of those passages would be Psalm chapter 16, verse 10. I'll go through, uh, through a couple of passages today, maybe quicker than you can find them, but please see me afterwards and I'll, I'll go tell you where they are if you want to go back and study them. But in Psalm chapter 16, verse 10, just to name one, David says, For you will not abandon me to Sheol, you will not allow your faithful one to see decay. Now, David here acknowledges that he believes that there is going to be something better than just rotting in the grave. When it says, you will not abandon me to Sheol, Sheol literally means grave. That's what's being spoken of there. You will not allow your faithful one to see decay. That is, there is more to this than us just rotting in the grave. Now, that's not clearly spelled out for us here. David doesn't say, and there's going to be a resurrection. But this same passage is also referenced in the New Testament. In speaking of Jesus, that Jesus is, uh, is, is the one that God would not allow to see decay. He was the faithful one who did not see decay, but instead Jesus was raised from the dead. Three days later, he arose. And so it is clear that that's in this passage, even though we may not see that initially, we see that in light of Jesus Christ and Christ crucified and his resurrection. We see that spelled out for us in the New Testament. Now, Jesus here talks about these people in the Old Testament at the end of the passage we're looking at today where he says, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. That's what God told uh, Moses as he stood before the burning bush. Now, it's very subtle there that, that perhaps that is speaking of a resurrection. Well, it's not perhaps it is speaking of resurrected bodies. But he says there, I am the God. He is. He not, it's not that he was the God of these people. I am the God of these people who have come before. That is, these people are not dead. They are living. And Jesus affirms that in this next uh, verse, verse 27. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are badly deceived. Now, what Jesus is saying there is that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are not dead, but indeed they are living. And Jesus points out that that, is, that can be taken from this verse. Now, while that may not be obviously clear to us that this verse is speaking of a resurrection, we see those hints and we see those clues in verses like these throughout the Old Testament. It is clear in several passages, and we won't go through them today for time's sake, in the Old Testament, but if you study through the Old Testament, you will find those types of little hints and those types of clues that there is a resurrection that is coming, that there is a resurrection that will take place. Now, 
the Sadducees did not believe that there was a resurrection. And perhaps there are still people in the world today who do not believe there's a re resurrection. There have been Christians throughout the centuries who have not believed that there is a resurrection. Now that seems like an odd thing to say. And while they may have claimed to be Christian, it seems difficult to say that one could be a Christian yet deny the resurrection. It also seems odd that if we do not believe that there is a resurrection, then what in the world hope is there? Why in the world would we follow Jesus if there is no hope of something better than this world that we have right now? Why in the world, if we would deny resurrection, what good is Jesus? He, it does not make any sense to me, and I cannot wrap my head around those in religious circles who would claim to be a Christian or claim to believe and follow God, but yet deny resurrection. That seems like pure foolishness. And Paul tells us as much in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you want to turn there, this is kind of a long passage, but uh, it clearly gets the point across as to why it is significant for us as Christians to, to believe in the resurrection. The resurrection is key. That is a key teaching of Jesus Christ that we cannot deny. To deny such a resurrection is in turn denying Jesus Christ, who he is and what he has done. 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15, we'll read verses 12 through 19. Kind of a long passage, but it's not too bad. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians 15, verse 12. <clears throat> now if Christ is proclaimed and raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation is without foundation. And so is your faith. In addition, we are found to be false witnesses about God because we have testified about God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Therefore, those who have fallen asleep in Christ have also perished. If we have put our hope in Christ for this life only, we should be pitied more than anyone. Paul says, what's the point? If you are going to deny the resurrection of Jesus Christ, then you have no hope, then you are a pitiful human being. If you put your hope in Jesus Christ only for this life, then man, you are to be pitied because this life don't offer much. If you have put your hope in Jesus Christ, but yet you don't believe in a resurrection, then you're still, your sins still remain. Because if you say Jesus Christ has not been resurrected, then you are saying Jesus Christ is a liar. And if you are saying Jesus Christ is a liar and does not do what he says, then you are a fool for following him. Now, the Sadducees, who claimed to be godly men and women, but did not believe in the resurrection, would fall into this category that Paul is talking about here. Hopefully you and I do not fall into that foolish category. Because our hope comes in the resurrection. Our hope comes in that Jesus was who he said he was. Jesus came to this earth, the Son of God, and he never sinned. 
Jesus went around proclaiming the Word of God, teaching people the Word of God, instructing people in the Word of God, that they could rightly understand the Word of God and live by the Word of God. Jesus produced all of these miracles that are recorded for us in Scripture and many miracles that are not recorded for us in Scripture. And all along the way, Jesus was pointing us to God. And toward the end, Jesus began to clearly point out, as we've seen in the last few chapters of Mark, Jesus pointed out to his apostles, I am going to be killed, and three days later, I will rise. My enemies will come against me. I will be killed, but I will rise. Everything Jesus had done rested on the fact of whether Jesus would be resurrected. Would that prediction of his death come true? Would that final miracle that would occur in Jesus' resurrection, would it prove to be true? Everything hinged on that. If Jesus would have said all the things he said and did all the things he did, but had not been resurrected from the grave, I would not be standing here preaching to you today. I would be off out and about doing whatever I wanted to do. If Jesus had not resurrected from the grave, there would be no point for us to be here today. Jesus would have simply been a lunatic, a man going around preaching and teaching that he was the Son of God and that he could uh, overcome death. If Jesus had not been resurrected, he would be nothing more than a lunatic in history. But Jesus is not a lunatic in history. Jesus was indeed who he said he was. Jesus indeed was the Son of God. Jesus was nailed to a cross and crucified. Jesus was placed in the grave. And three days later, Jesus did arise. Jesus has been resurrected. And so for that reason, I stand before you here, uh, before you here today and I tell you about Jesus Christ. I tell you that he was who he said he was. And we do have hope today. Because the wages of sin is death, and we are all sinners. And had Jesus had not been resurrected, we would die, and we would not be resurrected. We would be hopeless. We would be dead in our sins, and we would be eternally separated from God. And so everything that we see in Scripture rests on the fact of, was Jesus resurrected? And when Jesus was resurrected, and when that tomb was discovered and it was emptied, Jesus was who he said he was. He was indeed the Son of God. He indeed conquered sin by living a sinless life. And he indeed conquered death when God raised him from the grave. And because of that, you and I have hope. Because of that, Jesus says, I am going to die for you. I am going to take the wages of your sins so that you don't have to. I am going to deliver you from death. When you take your last breath in this world, that will not be the end of your life. And your life won't have to spend an eternity apart from God and the lake of fire. But Jesus said, I'm going to give my life on the cross so that you can be forgiven. So that when you take your last breath in this life, you will be with me for all of eternity if you will follow me. And so when we speak of the resurrection, the resurrection is not just something we talk about. It is the key to our salvation. Because Jesus Christ was resurrected, so you and I will be resurrected. Because Jesus, life, Jesus Christ was resurrected, we can have a better life than this life. I don't know about you guys, but this life is not, does not seem very good to me. 
I see wars. I see fighting. I see hatred. I see sorrow. I see death. I see disease. That doesn't sound good to me. I hope it doesn't sound good to you. But God wants to give us something better than this life. And that something better only came because Jesus Christ gave his life on the cross and was resurrected on our behalf. We see other passages in the New Testament. John chapter 6, verse 39 and 40. This is the will of him who sent me, that I should not, excuse me, that I should lose none of those he has given me, but should raise them up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. Well, that seems pretty clear, right? Jesus says it twice there in that passage. Those who have faith in him, I will raise them up. Raise them up from what? Raise them up from, <coughs> from death. Death will not have a final say. We will, brothers and sisters in Christ, be resurrected. In Mark uh, chapter 10, verse 33 and 34, Jesus says, Listen, we are going up to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be handed over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death. Then they will hand him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him, and he will rise after three days. There really should be no question for us when we read the Scripture. It's pretty clear. Jesus has said, I will rise after three days. Jesus has said, those who follow me, I will raise up on the last day. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 4 says that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Now, we just talked about this. According to the scriptures, according to what scriptures? The Sadducees would have seen no evidence of resurrection in the Old Testament. They did not believe there was resurrection. But when Paul says here that it happened according to the Scriptures, he's not talking about the New Testament. We see clearly in the New Testament that the resurrection is spoken of by Jesus. It is clear that those who put their faith in him will be resurrected. The death will not have the final say. But when Paul speaks of the Scriptures here, he's speaking of the Old Testament. When he says that he will be raised according to the scriptures, Paul is saying, look, it was clear in the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament, that a resurrection would occur. And so these people are coming about Jesus trying to trick him because they think that he is going to have nothing to say when they present this scenario about this woman with seven husbands. But instead, Jesus corrects them. Jesus said, oh no, there is a resurrection. You don't believe in a resurrection, it's going to happen. You don't believe in angels, well, when you get to heaven, you're going to be like angels. You don't believe in a resurrection, well, go back and read Moses, whom you do follow, the words of Moses that you know very well. Probably everyone accusing him here probably knew the very passage that he quoted from Exodus. And Jesus says, look, I am not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. Now, that's also a reassuring passage because sometimes we may read about the resurrection and the graves being open on the last day and we may say, well, are our loved ones still in the grave? Will they not be with Jesus until the last day comes? Well, it seems clear through Jesus' passage that he was telling us that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were living. They were not dead, but in turn, they were living. 
And so I believe it is for those that we love who have already passed away, that they are indeed with the Lord. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And I believe that that is indeed the case, that those who have gone on uh, before us are with the Lord right now, and that they are not dead, but they are indeed living. And they are living if, because they put their faith in Jesus Christ and because he has been resurrected. So they, again, were unsuccessful, these who were attacking Jesus. They were unsuccessful in, in tripping him up. They were unsuccessful in, in getting him to say, Oh, I don't know. That's a tough question. That's probably what they were hoping for. And they probably often got that response from the Pharisees. But Jesus was a little wiser than the Pharisees. And Jesus corrected them. Now, certainly they did not like what Jesus had to say. But Jesus had made his point. And he proved that point just a few days after this when he was crucified and when he was resurrected. Everything about Christianity rests on that truth of Jesus Christ, that everything Jesus said was true. If everything else Jesus said would have been true, except for the fact he didn't resurrect, then Jesus would have been a liar. Then the power of God would not have been powerful enough to bring one up from the grave. But every single thing Jesus said was true. Throughout his ministry, everything he said was true. Throughout his ministry, all the miracles that he did were by the power of God. Throughout his ministry, he lived for God. All the way up to the cross, he lived for God. He died for you and I. And there was one thing left that Jesus had said would occur. There was only one thing left to solidify that Jesus was who he said he was, that everything he said was truthful, that the power of God was what he said the power of God was. There was one thing left after Jesus was nailed to a cross. There was one thing left after he was crucified. There was one thing left after he was placed in the grave. And would he rise? And praise the Lord, he did rise. Praise the Lord when the ladies went to the tomb he was not there. The angel told him, look, the one you were looking for, he is not here. Praise the Lord. That's what we are here for today. We are here today because Jesus was not there today. We are in this church today because Jesus was not in the tomb that day that the ladies and that the apostles went to seek him because he had been resurrected. Jesus had conquered sin, he had conquered death, and Jesus said, if you follow me, if you put your faith in me, if you come to me for forgiveness, if you seek me, you will be forgiven. If you come to me hungry and thirsty and full of burden, Jesus said, I'll take your burden. I will give you eternal water that you will never thirst again. I will forgive your sins and I will come back for you one day and you will be resurrected. We will have victory over sin. We will have victory over death because Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, has had victory over sin and victory over death. Now, I don't know about you today, but I hope you put your faith in Jesus this morning. I hope you believe every word that God's Word says. I hope you believe that every word that Jesus said because I'm going to tell you what, you can take it to the bank. He's the only person in the history of the world that you can believe and depend on and trust every single word he ever uttered. From the is, ands, and these, no matter what word Jesus said, you can bank on it. Other people will let you down, even people who love you. They'll tell you things that you can't stand on, that you can't depend on. But I'm going to tell you what every single word Jesus said we can depend on. 
so when Jesus says, I'm going to be resurrected, we can rest assured that he was resurrected. Because God's word tells us page after page of the evidence and the proof and the glory that we see in his resurrected body. Let's pray. God, we come to you this morning. We thank you for these good words. And I pray that we would, that we would live by them, dear Lord, that we would never question or doubt the resurrection of your son. But God, that we would believe the words of Jesus Christ. God, that we would believe that you have raised him and that we know that he is seated at your right hand, dear Lord. He is not some dust that is wasted away in a grave, God, but he has been seated at your right hand for thousands of years now. And God, we just, I pray that if there's one in this, in this room this morning that has not found the victory in Jesus Christ, the victory over sin and death, that today that they have heard your word, that today that they would recognize and acknowledge that they are sinners, that they would recognize that there is hope in only Jesus Christ, only in the words of Jesus Christ. And God, I pray that we would stand firm on those words today, that we would stand firm on the truth that He is our Savior, that He did give His life. And because of His blood, because of the blood that was shed for us, dear Lord, we are forgiven if we trust Him. So God, I pray that if there is one that's not put their faith in Jesus, today they would. God, I pray that you would help us to stand firm on the resurrection and to look forward to the better day that you promise us. That when we leave this life, that it's not the end for us, but God, for those who put their faith in Jesus, it is only the beginning. So help us to find encouragement in that fact, dear Lord, and look forward to the day that you will, you will call us home and that we will be with you. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us for today's service. To learn more about Jesus, call or text Pastor Shan at 601-657-0180 or email him at shanvn at me.com. You can also visit us at www.enterprisebaptist.church or follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash ebcliberty. We hope that you have been blessed by today's service.